0: Well, hello again, everyone. This is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 178. Today we're talking all about gastric tubes. Maybe not every single thing you need to know, but a general introduction and overview because you will definitely be seeing these in clinical, hopefully you're going to clinical, and in your skills lab. Before we do that, let's take a quick moment for the listener shout out, my favorite part of the show. This one goes out to Gretchen, who says, sadly, I only discovered Nurse Mo a week after graduating from an ASN program. Oh, how much better it could have been if I had had her by my side then. Happily, I have her now. The podcasts have 10,000% increased my understanding and retention of information. This is the NCLEX prep I needed so badly. I will follow Nurse Mo forever. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review, and I wish you'd found me earlier as well, but hey, you're here now, and that's all that matters, and by now, you've taken your NCLEX, and I hope that you've passed and that you still are listening, so send me an email and let me know that you passed and that you now have RN after your name. Okay, everybody, let's talk about gastric tubes. So lots of different kinds, lots of different insertion sites. First, the main reasons why we use them. So mainly we use a gastric tube to provide nutrition and give medications to people who maybe who can't swallow safely, like a patient with dysphagia. We give it to, uh, we use them in patients who are unable to take in nutrition orally because of an illness, maybe they're really sick in the ICU on a ventilator, maybe they've got an issue with their GI tract, so maybe they've got an ileus or something like that, or they had a gastric surgery and they need to rest the stomach, but we can use the small intestine et cetera, et cetera, providing nutrition and giving medications. We also use one type of feeding tube for decompression. That means we can hook this feeding tube up to low wall suction or intermittent low wall suction to remove gastric contents, to remove gas from the stomach. You'll see this done a lot in pancreatitis, super common condition where we use an NG tube, for decompression. And if there is a poisoning situation, you will see them used for gastric lavage. So if you're going to be working in the ER, that's most likely the time when you would see gastric lavage done. So there's a few key different types of gastric tubes, and I'm just talking about the most common ones that you'll see. The Salem sump is like your standard uh, NG OG tube. And we're going to talk about NG and OG in a minute. But the Salem sump is used for nutrition, used for medications, and it can be used for decompression. And it's the only one that can do both. This is the standard We're going to place an NG tube in this patient. That's what we go and grab. It has a larger diameter than the small bore feeding tubes, which we'll talk about in a little bit. It's a little more rigid, so it's not quite as comfortable, but it does have that added benefit that it can be used for decompression. Then we have the small bore feeding tubes, and these are used for nutrition and medication, not used for decompression. The Dobhoff is a small bore feeding tube with a weighted end, and that weighted end helps it migrate into the proper position. Sometimes the stomach, but often we place these intentionally to go beyond the stomach in what we call post-pyloric positioning or post-pyloric placement, meaning it's after the pyloric sphincter. Less risk of aspiration, patients can still aspirate, they can still vomit and aspirate, but there's less risk of aspirating with post-pyloric placement. And then we have the tubes that are placed directly through the skin for long-term nutrition and medication administration. So there's those different kind of types. And now we're going to talk about the insertion sites and how we refer to them this way. So sometimes you'll see it referred to by the type it is, or by where it's inserted and where it ends up. And by that, I mean, for example, a nasogastric tube. Inserted in the nose, ends up in the stomach. Nasogastric. Got it? Typically, we use these for pretty short duration. Nasogastric tube, let's say your patient with pancreatitis is vomiting uncontrollably. We're going to pop in a nasogastric Salem sump. And hook that up to intermittent low wall suction to decompress the bowel. Vomiting vastly improves. Nausea vastly, vastly improves. Patient feels a lot better. They hate the part where you're putting in the NG tube, but once it's in, that nausea and that vomiting tends to go away because we're decompressing. OG, and that's not for original gangster gastric tube, that's for orogastric tube into the oral cavity, and ends up in the stomach, orogastric. And we use these in patients who are intubated. So when we intubate a patient, at my facility, what we do is we intubate, and then we right away, while the patient is still sedated from whatever we gave them for the intubation, we put in an OG tube. So one of the issues with the nasogastric tube is that that hard plastic tube can cause skin breakdown at the nares, much less skin breakdown with it going just into the mouth. So we put it in alongside the ET tube. And then instead of it following down into the trachea, obviously, it goes down into the uh, through the esophagus and into the stomach. So Oro orogastric is another one. So again, the NG and the OG, these are typically going to be that Salem sump. We can give feedings through it. We can give meds through it. But if we need to decompress, we can turn that thing to low wall suction and empty the stomach. Then we have ND nasoduodenal, and these are going to be more those small bore feeding tubes like that Dobhoff I talked about. So a nasoduodenal, guess where that's going to enter? In the nose. And where is that going to end up? In the duodenum, that very beginning of the small intestines. Again, this is considered a post-pyloric feeding tube placement. And we're using this For the individual who needs nutrition support, maybe not long-term, but maybe for a few months, you know, so um, most likely longer-term than the Salem sump type of situation because it is more comfortable for that longer-term feeding. The NJ tube, if someone says my patient has an NJ tube, that's nasojejunal. So going in through the nose, and terminating in the jejunum. So that's further down into the small intestine than that nasoduodenal tube. Again, shortish duration. And when we say short duration, that could be up to like six months. It's not long-term. It's not forever. And again, this is for those who are not going to tolerate feeding into the stomach, okay? The nutrition needs to come in after the stomach. Maybe they have an ileus, a paralytic type of something a gastric motility issue. They had a stomach surgery, a gastrectomy. The stomach has to heal. We don't want to mess with the stomach. We're going to bypass it for a little bit into the jejunum, an NJ tube. We often will use these. If we are going to be putting a patient into that prone position, let's say they have ARDS, they are going to need a post-pyloric feeding tube to help prevent aspiration. So they'll be getting that small bore feeding tube, either nasoduodenal or nasojejunal placement. Okay, so those are some very common ones that you'll see going in through the nose, and then they end up somewhere in the GI tract, right, into the stomach or the small intestine, or they can go in the mouth if it's an intubated patient and ending up in the stomach. I did read about some going into the mouth in awake patients, but I've never ever seen it. I guess physically it is possible. I don't know how well tolerated that would be. Then you have the gastric tubes that are inserted directly into the stomach or they could be intestinal tubes as well so they go right from the exterior of the abdominal wall into the site of insertion into that place where they're going to be delivering the medication or the feeding so these are what is used for the person who needs long-term nutrition okay so gastric tubes often called g-tubes or PEG tubes are the most common type. These are either placed surgically or placed endoscopically, and they go, again, straight into the stomach through the abdominal wall. So the G tube itself could have like a little longish tube on it, which is about, yeah, I'm going to say about six inches long, and that's called the PEG tube. Or it could be this little button device that's pretty much level with the skin. And this is called a Mickey button, which is super cute considering that it's used a lot in children. Uh, Having a Mickey button makes the device way less obtrusive, easier to conceal. It's not going to be flopping around getting caught on things. So it's a really great choice for kids. Then we have gastrojejunal tubes or GJ tubes. I used to see these a lot in the ICU. And this one enters the digestive system again directly through that abdominal wall. So a lot of times the patient will start out with a G tube, but they're not tolerating feeding into the stomach. They need it to go into the intestine. And so it's a quick switch to turn that G tube into a GJ tube. So the question is always, When do I use the G port and when do I use the J port? So there'll be two ports on this tube. So again, many times that G tube is converted into a GJ, into people who cannot tolerate gastric feeding, but can tolerate intestinal feeding. In those cases, the MD may write, only use the J port. And then you would only use the J-Port, whether you're giving nutrition or whether you are giving meds. In some instances, nutrition is given through the J-Port kind of like maybe like a slow, continuous or semi-continuous feed while medications are given through the G port. So you just always need to read your medication orders carefully to ensure that you are using the correct port. And if you're not sure and if nobody's giving you any uh, information about it from the physician, ask the family. They know what the routine is and then you can let the MD know so that they can put that into the patient's record and in their orders. The nice thing about the G port is that it can be vented to dispel gas and can be used for draining gastric contents if that is needed. Now, there are also J tubes or strictly jejunal tubes, and these go directly into that intestine, that small intestine, through the abdominal wall. Not as commonly seen as the G tube and the GJ tube, and they must be surgically placed. Again, Feedings are going to be given more slowly if you're going straight into the intestine. So those are kind of like the general overview of the different types of tubes that you will see, where they're inserted, what they're for, so that you have some familiarity around them if you go into clinical and you hear someone say your patient has a JG tube, you'll know, I need to know for sure which port to use for meds, which ports to use for food, okay? So you'll have that in your head. All right, let's talk about NG tube insertion because this is what you will be doing the most commonly in clinical. It's what you're going to learn in your skills lab. And I want to talk you through it because it is hands down the most unpleasant thing that I've ever had to do to a person, and I want you to have some confidence around it. I hope I didn't scare you, but I don't like doing things to people that are uncomfortable. So the more I know about the proper technique, the more confident I feel. But yes, it's pretty unpleasant for the person on the receiving end. So I know you guys learn like step by step by step at school. So I'm not going to go through step by step by step like you learn in school. I'm going to tell you kind of the approach and how we do it at the bedside, in the real world, okay? So one of the things that you want to do initially, and this will save you a lot of heartache, is ask the patient before you do anything if they have any issues with their nasal cavity, deviated septum, trauma to the nose, uh, broken nose, nasal surgery, any issues with their nasal passages. If they have a bleeding disorder, you definitely want to know about that ahead of time. And if they say they don't really have any nasal issues, you could just simply say, do you breathe better out of one side than the other? You could even have them occlude one side and take a breath and then occlude the other and take a breath and see which one seems to be working better. It is going to be the side that is going to be easiest to pass the NG tube. Through okay, and then I'm going to explain to them what we're doing. That I'm going to give them some water to sip, and that if they can maybe pant or swallow water, it's going to make this go by much, much faster. Tell them it's very normal for their eyes to water and that it is uncomfortable, but once we get past kind of the most horrible part, which is in the very beginning, we get through it and it's okay, and that once it's in place. It won't be as bad. So we just got to get through it, okay? Um, It is really, really uncomfortable. So you want to get a towel or something across their chest in case there's a lot, uh, they could vomit, there could be a lot of, you know, drool, and there may even be some bleeding, hopefully not. But if there is, you want to just be ready for that. And then the other thing that you want to have at the bedside is a friend. I don't think I've ever tried to put in an NG tube by myself. A, I want moral support from a coworker, and B, you kind of want somebody there to gently be reassuring the patient, and just, I'm not saying restrain them, but gently place their hands on the patient's hands, because the patient's response, like, gut reaction, reflex is going to be to reach up and grab at whatever you're doing. And you just want to gently reassure them to not do that. I mean, if someone stuck an NG tube up my nose, I would punch them. So I would be grateful if somebody was just gently reminding me not to do that because I, you know, I don't really want to punch anybody, but I think I would because it just seems so, so uncomfortable. Then you want to take your, so we're grabbing our Salem sump, that's what we're talking about today, and it's not super soft, but you want to coil it, okay? It is kind of a stiffer plastic, so if you coil it around your hand, it'll kind of take on that coiling shape, which is good because that's going to help it get into the right position. If you had time ahead of time, you could put it in some cold water to help it kind of hold that coiled shape. I had a nurse friend who said she would put it in the freezer for a few minutes just to get it really cold, and then that would help it retain its shape, just a little trick there. But you can, if nothing else, coil it around your hand um, for a little bit to help it take on kind of a curved shape. And then you want to do your measurements. So you guys learned in lab about the NEX measurement. So that's from the nares to the earlobe to the xiphoid process. So you get your measurements. You look at your tube. It has numbers on it. You figure out where you're going to go, 55 centimeters or 60 centimeters or whatever it is. It depends on the size of the patient. And then have the patient blow and clear their nose. And you want to... And I like to get my securement stuff together before we get started, so getting that tape together so that once it's in, I can immediately get it secured. Because you do not want this to come out. You don't want to have to go through this whole process again. Okay, so we've measured, we've determined which side we're going to go into, we've got our friend there for moral support, and now we're ready to do this thing. So as much as you can convey, confidence, but, you know, like a gentleness, that's going to be helpful for the patient. This is not something you want to rush through. This is not something you want to be forceful with. Um, but you also don't want to be timid. So you have to be like compassionately firm with placing an ng tube because once you get it in, it's great. But if you're timid and you're just going in very timidly, it's just going to take too long. The patient's going to get probably more and more anxious and upset by it. So once you start, it's game on, okay? So let's talk about the actual insertion. Hopefully you've remembered to lubricate the tube because that is going to make things go so much more easily and be so much more comfortable for your patient. And you can tilt their head back initially a little bit and gently but firm like firm but gentle okay so there's a delicate balance there get that tube into the posterior nasopharynx so you're kind of aiming it down and back towards the ear okay and as you get to the pharynx so first part going through the nose it hurts they don't like that either but then when you get to that pharynx area they may start to gag and that's when you want to have that ba- an emesis basin or that towel in case there is some emesis. If you have them tilt their head slightly forward a little bit and give them a little bit of water to sip through a straw, you can advance the tube a little bit with each swallow. And that makes it go a lot Easier, okay? You're also going to rotate that tube. You know, you're redirecting the curve. So it was going towards the ear. Now you're going to make it kind of go down towards the stomach. And you just keep gently but firmly advancing as the patient swallows until you get to that mark or that line that you measured for. You're not quite done yet. You're going to get to that point. You're going to tape it to the bridge of the nose using that taping technique that you learned in your skills lab. And all this time, you're watching for signs that maybe things are not going as planned. So excessive coughing could probably mean that it went into the trachea instead, so if the patient's coughing, and if you've got them on a monitor, it's great because you can watch their oxygen saturation level. It may drop, it may not. But if they're coughing a lot, very suspicious that it went into the trachea. You want to pull that back out and and try again to go into the correct spot. If they're gagging a lot and choking you may just have coiled it up in the back of their throat. And this has happened to me more times than I can count. So get the mouth open, uh, use a tongue blade, get a light and look. And a lot of times you'll see it just all coiled up back there. So you got to pull that out and start over again as well. Um, There's a bedside trick. This is not going to be on your NCLEX. This is not going to be taught in your skills lab. But if the patient's coughing, If you put the tip into some water and there's bubbles that correlate with their coughing, that's a pretty good sign that it is in the respiratory tract. So a little bedside tip there. I have no idea if that is even taught. That was just something that I learned working at the bedside. I'm not advocating that you do it. I'm telling you, if you see somebody do it, that's what they're doing, okay? So, If there's a lot of bleeding, you definitely want to reassess what you're doing at that point. And if at any time you feel a lot of resistance, do not push through that resistance. One of the scariest CT scans I ever saw was a CT scan was it a CT scan or an X-ray I can't remember it was an imaging study and it was an NG tube that was in someone's brain because this patient had a very um oh what is that sphenoid bone very delicate bone anyway and the whoever placed the NG tube went through that bone and ended up putting the nasogastric tube into the patient's brain so please do not push past any resistance okay This should not be a difficult thing to do. The most difficult thing is the patient's discomfort, okay? But it should not be a difficult, forceful thing that you're having to do. You're compassionately firm, but you're not forcing anything at all, okay? Got it? All righty. So once that tube is in place, you want to make sure the patient can talk. If they can't, it's probably passing through the vocal cords and it went into the respiratory tract. So that would be an indication to get it out right away. And you want to confirm placement. The gold standard for confirmation of placement of an NG tube or an OG tube or whatever tube, NJ, ND, what have you, is x-ray. So you will learn the air auscultation technique at school. We'll do it at the bedside as a quickie. Or if we're putting it in for decompression, you hook hook it up to low wall suction and you get gastric contents out. That's a pretty good sign you're in the stomach. You always still get an x-ray, okay? And once you get that x-ray, the physician looks at the x-ray, confirms placement of the NG tube. Maybe the radiologist is confirming it, but somebody is confirming the placement of the NG tube, the OG tube, the ND, NJ, what have you, before you instill anything in it. Understand? Before you start the tube feeding, before you give any meds, you get placement confirmed and then the doctor writes an order okay to use tube ng tube whatever kind of tube it is okay is that clear so if you're looking at your orders and your patient patient had a tube placed this morning and you've got tube feeding to start i want you to go in that chart and look for an okay to use order i want you to go on the chart and look for a chest x-ray that was done you need that confirmation. You may see dobhoffs being inserted in clinical. These are, again, small bore feeding tubes. They have a weighted end and there's a stylet, so a thin wire running through this small bore feeding tube. So these are placed at the bedside. They can be placed endoscopically. Sometimes they're placed in surgery. The thing with the dobhoff is that weighted end migrates it. To the proper position. So, a lot of times these are placed post pylorically. So, we go into the small intestine and that stylet stays in place. So, what happens is the Dobhoff tube is inserted. And then an x-ray is done and that stylet shows up on the x-ray for really easy visual confirmation. Then the stylet is removed, okay? So that is what you will see with those. Depending on hospital policy, the nurses may or may not be placing those. I worked at a hospital where the nurses did not place them because it does come with some risks like a pneumothorax could happen. Um, There's some other things. But... In some facilities, the nurses do place them. So as a student, you probably won't be placing a Dobhoff, but I want you to be aware of what they are and why they are used. They're much smaller, they're much more comfortable. There could be less aspiration risk. And again, it has that weighted end that helps it migrate further down into the stomach or even post-pyloric. Now, when we're looking at NG tubes, my facility started using this securement thing called a bridle in the last few years. And bridles are really interesting in that they go toward the back of the nasal septum, and then there's these two magnets. They connect around the vomer bone inside the nasal cavity, and then it's all kind of um, connected together. Anyway, it's a serious deterrent to pulling it out because a really uh, uncomfortable when the patient pulls on it, and it's pretty darn secure. I mean, they could pull it out, but it would be really uncomfortable. So the studies show that there's far less inadvertent dislodgements of nasogastric tubes because people don't tend to pull them out when they are bridled in place. So if you hear your nurse you're working with talk about the patient having a bridle, they are not talking about their horses, they're talking about securing their NG tube. One of the things you want to keep a really close eye on with your NG tubes is obviously skin patency, the nares can get skin breakdown. So you want to keep a very close eye on that. And you also want to keep all tubes patent, no matter what kind they are. So your facility will have policies about how often to flush these tubes. In my facility, it's every four hours, and you flush them before any medication administration, in between meds and after the medication administration is complete and then before and after any bolus feeding. So you're flushing these things all the time, but believe it or not, they do get clogged sometimes. So there are some things you can do for a feeding tube that is clogged. You could start with something simple like warm water, of course, check your facility's policy on this. But warm water can help using a push-pull technique. You could maybe use a carbonated beverage. That's kind of an old school tactic. I have heard that it can work really well. And then in my facility, the physician will order some this enzymatic Uh, concoction, I believe it's kind of it's like pancreatic enzymes. So they use something like that. And that helps dissolve whatever is clotting up the tube. Usually it's medications that have clumped together in there. So whenever you're giving medications through a tube, if you can get a an elixir version, a liquid version, that's the best. Not all medications obviously come in that format. So you want to make sure that you're crushing things thoroughly. And letting them dissolve for an adequate amount of time so that they are fully dissolved before you try to push them through the feeding tube, especially those small bore tubes, which can clog very, very easily. So some safety things you always want to keep in mind with your feeding tubes is, you know, head a bed at 30 degrees, you want to reduce aspiration risk, especially if the patient's on continuous feeding, there's always something in their stomach, they're always at risk for aspiration. You want to verify that placement before you ever use it. And then Anytime the patient has a significant amount of movement, maybe you're transferring them from the bed to the gurney, or they go down to MRI, or to CT scan, or they fell, or whatever, always get verification again, and then before you use it, visually verify that it's at the mark where it is intended to be. If it's in the chart that it's at 55 centimeters or whatever, you want to check that it's at 55 centimeters and you can mark it with the Sharpie as well so that it's very, very clear where it should be. Preventing removal, again, the bridle can help with that. Really good securement across the bridge of the nose can help. Not as much as a bridle though, but yes, if the taping is loose, get that secured. You can use that tincture of benzoin. It helps to make the skin extra sticky so that the ad- adhesive will stick even better. Some patients will need to be restrained or wear mittens to prevent pulling it out. In kids, you know, they put the no nos on the little board that keeps their arm from bending up towards their face, something like that. And then, The tubes that are placed directly through the abdominal wall are not without potential risk. They can become dislodged as well. So you always want to assess that everything looks the way that it should before you actually use it. And yes, those can get clogged as well. When I was precepting my final semester, we had a patient who it looked like their peg tube had gotten um, out of place, and the nurse was very concerned that the medication had been actually instilled into the peritoneal space instead of into the stomach, and it was a whole big thing to have that x-ray done and everything assessed Um, It was safe, it was actually fine, but the nurse was very concerned about that, as he should have been. I mean, it was very smart of him to be worried about that and to take that extra step to ensure that the patient was safe. So I never, ever forgot that, and I always check. Just because it's a long-term device does not mean that it can't move out of position. So there you have it, you guys. That's your down and dirty for your feeding tubes, kind of the different things that you'll see in clinical or in a skills lab. And then when you're going to work as a nurse, what it's like for real to do it on a real person, they probably won't like you very much unless they're vomiting uncontrollably. And this stops it, then they'll be grateful for it. But most of the time, It's pretty unpleasant for everyone involved, but it's best for the patient. So there you have it. All right, everybody. I will see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.